0: Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Paco Gavrilides and the conclusion of his presentation titled The Church's Primary Mission, recorded at the Catholic Men's Fellowship of Northeast Ohio annual conference in March 2014. And now... Here is Paco Gavrilides.
1: A group of guys from one men's group came up to me and said, Paco, we just want to let you know we don't do evangelization.
0: And I said, have
1: you been baptized? We said, yeah, of course. I said, well, then you do evangelization. Because by virtue of your baptism, you are called into mission. Now how we do it and, and what particular ways that we invest ourselves in this work, that's a different story. That's a matter of discernment and judgment and all kinds of things nevertheless no one has a right to say i don't i ex- i exempt myself from being ready to share the gospel to promote the gospel it's unlike every other ministry any other ministry within the life of the church what's important is to say okay somebody's in music ministry but they have to be ready even as musicians to give witness to their faith if the door opens and there's an opportunity somebody might be working in childcare, somebody might be working in uh, finances in the church that doesn't exempt us from the fundamental basic mission of sharing the gospel with others in the uh, archdiocese of detroit um, some of you know him he maybe have spoken may, may have spoken at a conference here well one of the things that he he said to a number of the the, the some of the priests you know and the Area of the downtown area, uh, who are good men, who are very committed uh, often to, to caring for those in the inner city. But one of the things that he said to them is, be careful. The people in the inner city don't just need a handout. They, ne- they need a hand up. And if the care of the poor in love is not accompanied by giving them the food that leads to eternal life, we're not completing our task. We're not fulfilling the mission that, we wanna, we, that, that we're involved in. In other words, if the charity, if the love of God is really moving in us when we work with the disadvantaged and so on, we will meet their physical needs, we will, they will, we will try to take care of their circumstances and so on, but we wouldn't want to leave out the heart of what is the unique mission of the church, which is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. We don't want to deprive anyone of the gift of eternal life. So it's not that we do less, or get less involved in those kind of activities. It's that within those activities, one of our focuses must be the readiness to share the good news of salvation. And I think that this is something that's starting to happen more. When the call to the new evangelization uh, went forth back in the early 1980s by John Paul II, and he spoke about it for the first time to the bishops in the Caribbean area. Uh, he, he made it clear that the new evangelization had more to do with its focuses. Like there's some very specific focuses of the new evangelization. Some of the characteristics of it that, that we need to be aware of. Number one, that the first characteristic is it's a call to lead every single Catholic into a personal, vibrant, living relationship with the person of Jesus. No exceptions. Everybody's called to that personal relationship. Everyone. So that they can know Jesus and be comfortable with Jesus on a first-name basis. That they can talk to Him and love Him and know Him. That's the first thing. The second thing, is that the driving force and impetus in the 21st century for the task of the new evangelization is in the hands of the laity. It's not in the hands of the religious. It's not in the hands of the clergy. Of course, they're going to be doing it out of their own charism and their vocation and ministry, but it's really for us to go into the highways and the byways, into the neighborhoods, into all kinds of settings, and begin to share this good news. And to help draw people to Christ and into the church. That's our business. That's the work of the the laity. And the more we understand that that we have these marching orders, uh, the way that Pope Francis says that you don't need marching orders from the church. Jesus himself gave you the marching order. So know who's speaking to you. And out of love and faithfulness as a, a faithful disciple, we obey the word of the Lord. So that's another characteristic. A third characteristic of the new evangelization is it's also directed specifically to vast the vast number of Catholics who are cultural Catholics but are not Catholics authentically uh, converted to the faith. And there's a tremendous need to, be, uh, to accept, and all the statistics, I, I don't have time, to go through this, but the statistics in almost any diocese in this country are statistics of shriveling numbers of those who are being baptized, shriveling numbers of those who are being married in the church, shriveling number of those who are receiving Holy Communion. Many, many, many of these categories, the church is shrinking. And those who are in the church are often, as John Paul II says in his Famous encyclical, Catechesis Tradendi, which is the one that talks about catechetics, he said, we cannot uh, count upon those young children coming into confirmation class. uh, We cannot presume that as they come to receive the, the, the sacrament, prepare for the sacrament of confirmation, that they have been evangelized. That many of them have been sacramentalized, and too many Catholics have been sacramentalized but they've never been evangelized. And there's where we need to make a fundamental shift. Now, without feeling defensive or even fearful, because that's not going to do us any good, and it's not where the Lord wants us to be, we have to look at reality for what it is, so that from there we can turn to the Lord, we can listen to the Lord, and we can begin to obey the Lord's leading in our time to make changes and to face this problem and see how the Lord will help us through. And there are many new efforts and new inspirations uh, in the Holy Spirit by many groups responding to this. So it's not as if this is something to be afraid of. But these are some of the characteristics that we have, is that we have many, many Catholics who um, have been poorly catechized. They do not know the faith, and they don't know the truth, of how the gospel applies to many of the hot button issues of our time in our culture. And so this is part of the new evangelization, is to focus on this. But I think that we should start after mentioning so many things and so many different popes, I'd like to just remember, remind you of the great commission that was given to us by our Lord Jesus. And then we're going to talk practical. Says, Jesus says in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and uh, uh, make, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. So this is the mandate. This is what Jesus says. Our response needs to be, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And begin to find out how that can be expressed in our own time. So, first of all, let's, let's really look at some uh, practical realities here. We know that in evangelization, the most reasonable thing to do is to start in the, in the, the surroundings that are, that are most, the, the context in where we live daily, where we see situations uh, that we're in day after day, where we see that the gospel needs to be preached, very often within our own family circles. Now, many of us, perhaps, have had a history of perhaps having not been in the Lord or leading strongly or talking about the Lord in the family. We've had some kind of conversion, and we're a little bit stuck, even about how to give witness in our own families. Perhaps we have some broken relationships with our, with our children or strained relationships with them. And they maybe saw us in our pagan days or our less fervent days or or days in which we were certainly not giving the example that we now wish to to give. One of the first suggestions uh, I think is a really critical one is to begin to have the humility to think through and pray through relationships with family members and where you have done wrong, where have you failed, to go to them, acknowledge your wrongdoing, and simply ask them to forgive you so that they can give, they can, that the peace could be established between you. And it, it, it gives you, once again, a voice in their life because you've had the humility and the integrity to acknowledge your own failures and your own weaknesses and say that I've asked the Lord to for forgive me and I must ask you to forgive me because I want to change my life now, and I want to change it in regard to, your, to you as well. And I know a number of families, a number of couples, who after later on in their life, after a number of years, they raised their kids to a certain age, and their kids were not walking with the Lord, needed to take these steps and get reconciled for the children. And then gradually over time, as they set a new example of love and attention and care and service to their children, their children began to open up the faith and they were able to re- bring them to the faith and get the relationship of the family united once again. And, you know, family members is a little tougher, but, but it depends on the order of the relationship. Uh, I have a dear cousin who is now a, a permanent deacon in the Catholic Church. And I tell you this story because I think it, it, it's a lesson in perseverance, too. Uh, we, we grew up together as kids, and we were almost like brothers, and we ran together, we were, played sports together, and we were naughty together, let's put it that way. Uh, and I went off and got involved in the Lord a big way and had a conversion, so I went back to see my cousin Jim. And when I saw him, the first thing I did is I, I actually sat, sat him down, and we, I gave him my personal testimony. And I told him that Jesus was alive and real, you know, and encouraged him to come. He didn't, he didn't respond. So I sent him articles on faith. Didn't respond. I sent him a book. Didn't respond. I sent him my friends. He didn't respond. Uh, I've sent him other friends. He didn't respond. Ten years went by. We're sitting at a family, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a family gathering. He's been divorced. He's he married. He didn't marry another guy. He's living with another woman. Had a child from another family and all that sort of thing. He had drinking problems. All sorts of kind of things. So what does he do? He's complaining to me of his state. And I really believe it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of indignation came over me, finally, after 10 years. So I, I, I was so convinced that I sh- should do this that he's sitting there in the chair, and I go up to him and I say, Jim, how many mortal sins will you commit before you repent? And when I said that, He bowed his head and became very quiet, and he shook his head. He says, you're right. And then I knew that the Lord was working in this, so I said, I know a priest. He's at St. Francis Parish. You get your there right now, and you get yourself cleaned up. You go to confession and stay with him, and he's going to help you get your life right on track. I had to go back to Monterey, Mexico, where I was studying in seminary at the time. As a result of it, he did it, and he had a tremendous conversion. Well, he'd been sleeping with this other gal. And she was a, a good woman, but messed up, like him. And so he says, I, I got to tell her. I got to tell her. So he takes her out for dinner at the Olive, uh, what's, Olive. Olive Garden. Nice dinner, talks to her, and finally he says, Diane, I got to tell you, I've had a conversion. I, I really know Jesus. I want to be a good Catholic. We got to stop sleeping together. You know what she said? She goes, I can't believe you're saying this. I'm having a conversion experience, too. I've had the Bible hidden in my purse for the last three or four weeks and been praying to try to figure out how I could tell you we have to stop. So they agreed together. Before the Lord, they went and knelt down and prayed, and they said, we will end this if we can't get annulments, and all of that happened. And, uh, and we'll never, we'll be brothers and sisters, we'll never continue and be faithful to the church. Well, God was merciful; that their whole situations got taken care of. They got married in the church. Later on, my my cousin had a real zeal for wanting to serve the Lord. Became a deacon. Now he's serving faithfully as a deacon in the church. Ten years. Hard work. Okay, I, I want to tell you some more stories because I think stories help a lot. There's two in the seminary. I have five three-hour sessions with the second-year theologians. And they have to do with uh, learning how to preach the gospel and give your personal testimony. And I I teach them all kinds of things, give them stats, and we do exercise, we do workshops on the whole thing. So this woman in the archdiocese calls me who's doing uh, confirmation class, okay? And uh, she says, Paco, I can't get anything to happen with these kids in confirmation. You know, the the cynical statement is confirmation is to take it out of the church a lot of times for a lot of these young people today. And she says, I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, Anna, I know what we're going to do. So I took two of my best guys, seminarians, they're in my homiletics class, and I said, come here. We've got a mission for you. You're going to go to this place, and you're going to give, you're preach the kerygma, the basic gospel message. What's the basic gospel message? It's preaching on the life, the death, the resurrection, the glorious ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's the that's kerygma. I said, so one of you is going to give you a personal testimony. The other one is going to, 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 is going to give uh, the kerygma. And then you're going to offer to pray over any of them who want to begin to move toward having an encounter with the Lord. So they did it. And five of the 25, it was a small class, had a very powerful experience of the Lord. Anna told me the next day, everything in that environment changed. And so I said, okay, now stay right there. Go and get somebody else to give their personal testimony. Talk about Jesus. And he can be known and he can be loved. Use the scripture. This is all time for parigma, And so they lifted up Jesus again. More of the class, more of the class opened up. So we arranged after that to have a whole day, which we we preached and we taught and we prayed over them. And we had reconciliation to get them ready to receive the sacrament of confirmation. And it was an amazing thing that happened to this class. So much so that their parents were blown away by the changes in these kids and in the, the kind of a reconciliation between Hispanics and Anglo children who were in this class together. It was a beautiful work of God. So why am I saying this? Is because one of the things that we must understand and really accept is that God is powerful. His word is powerful. Your testimony, if it's a testimony of the action of God can ring in the heart of another person as they hear it. And they can identify with it. It makes them hungry. It opens them to turning to the Lord. Many of us have wonderful moments in our life that we have never really quite reflected on and written down in an orderly way that sort of show the writing of God's hand and His mercy in your life. But if you were to tell your story you would be amazed how many people would be interested in it. You see this sheet here I gave you? This sheet just says, my personal testimony. What you have is, it's a a way of understanding it, uh, and on the back, it it, it gives you an opportunity to even write your own personal testimony. It starts out with, my life before Christ. What was my life before my conversion? What were my values and attitudes? Think about where you were, and then think about how grace began to touch you or move in you, so on. Think about incidents in your life, persons, or experiences, or places where God revealed Himself to you through a conversation, through a concert, through a friend, through a Eucharistic adoration, through a homily. But God awakened you and moved you towards Him, made you reconsider your life. The next thing is my conversion experience. What what event brought about my conversion? There's sometimes in a lot of people's lives sort of a decisive moment, a watershed experience. The question is, how how did I know I was encountering Christ in a personal way? Were there any physical or emotional feelings attached to this experience? You know, joy, peace, conviction of wrongdoing, hunger, you know, need to repent, whatever it was. What was my response to my encounter with Christ? Now, the, the, then, I, then, it, then it's the life of Christ and you can see all the questions that you could, you could answer there. The, the humorous thing that I find sometimes in some of these overly dramatic, I mean, they can be very dramatic, but sometimes testimonies can be so filled with the downside, the life of sin, that they tell it to you so graphically and everything, and then they say they met Jesus and now my life is fine. And that's kind of thin. And what, what we need to say and it's part of our testimony is how the Lord went about reordering your priorities, leading your life to prayer, reconciling relationships, making restitution for wrongdoing, all kinds of things, how things happen, because that's the sign of the redemptive work of Jesus in your life and gives people a feel that life with Christ, a walk with Christ is a walk of constant change and growth into a life where all the areas of our life, finances, relationships, uh, the, the way that we use our time of entertainment and so on, service, all get transformed. That's what we need. Testimonies that are mature and talk about the other end. When Now when we're walking with the Lord. And they can be very real. There could be some struggles that you have, but now the struggles that you have, you walk in union with the Lord with them. You get grace for them. You're still getting free. God is still acting because God is one who saves, not just once, but it's a continual work of salvation. Is it not? Now, if you have the other sheet, the other sheet is a very simple way, it's a kind of a graphic form here, of how one might give the kerygma. Now, how do you just tell someone about meeting Jesus? So it starts out with the four basic truths. And this, this has been done, some use this, four spiritual laws. You can use anything you want. But it says here, in love you created man. So the purpose of God's creation was love, right? He created it so that we could respond to God's love and enter in relationship with him. And the passages are there. It says, and then in injustice you condemned him. The rebellion, the turning our back on God, the offenses and so on really broke that relationship. And if you see the square boxes, you know, here's figure one, here's us and God all in the same picture. Then sin came along and there was a breach. And uh, sin, the wages of sin is death. And so we're on a journey of of spiritual death and, and eternal separation from God. Then it says here, third, but in mercy you redeemed him. Then you tell the story of Jesus being the provision from the Father, coming into the world to become one of us, representing the fallen human race, taking upon himself our sins, and through his death and the shed blood on the cross, paying the price so that there could be restoration of, from enmity to friendship, restoration of relationship and love and trust. That's all in God. And, and, uh, and then it, it talks about our receiving the good news by turning to Christ and in two ways, we return we turn to him and we accept him as Lord and as Savior, and we turn away from our sin. We repent. We take another. We have another mind. We change our direction. We walk in the way of God, and then you can invite people to do this. Now, uh, I, only, I only got a few minutes, maybe two or three minutes left. I wish I had more time with you, but I don't. Don't be afraid, men when you talk to people about Christ, to lead men sometimes in prayer. I think we're way too afraid to pray with men. But a lot of times, men will do very, very well at the right place to say, and I'd like to pray with you to help you take this step of turning to the Lord. And you can lead them in a simple prayer. Just one, one case among many that the Lord has allowed me to have. Uh, There's a young man who was a friend of... I, a guy that I had been doing apostolic work for many years had a brother, and his brother came into town. He said, I can't touch this. I can't touch this topic, but will you talk to him about the Lord? So we went out, and he, apparently this young man at the time had lots and lots of questions about Christianity. And, and he told, we had a conversation about this the other day. He was reminding me how it all went. And he asked all kinds of questions about Christian morality and so on, and I apparently answered the questions. He says, but then what you did is you basically preached to me the gospel. You told me the love of God in Jesus and what Jesus had done and that Jesus was near and you could receive Jesus. And he said, and that was really good. And then we took a long walk. He said, but what the crowning moment was when we came back to the farm and we sat down you said, would you like to receive prayer to ask the Lord to show himself to you and to begin to act in your life? And so I led him in a prayer, and I just, I just placed my hands on his shoulders and, and I prayed out loud, because I, I believe that a lot of holy times the Holy Spirit will lead the inspired prayer, and, and hearing it helps them understand what's going on. He said, when you did that, I experienced the Spirit of God come over me and my body was just filled with the presence of God. And he says, at that moment, real faith came alive. I had my first experience of the Lord. Now, he had gone to all the Catholic school stuff like our brother said today, uh, but no experience. But this was an experience that he was led to. Now, I want to say something about those 12 years in Catholic school. Don't think that that's all wasted time. When, when you get filled with the Lord... Many, many things that were taught in your past start to make sense. So that was, you know, cashing in on those things through an experience awakens those truths. But if if they're not alive, they're not alive, you know. So what, what I want to say, because my time is up, is this. It's time for us as men to love the call to help others find Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. It's the only name under heaven given by God that we might be saved. You know Him. Don't keep Him to yourself. Your family needs Him. Your city needs Him. Your schools need Him. The nation needs Him. The world needs Him. If we're going to be a new humanity, we need to be renewed by the only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go forth with great joy. The Spirit of God is upon us to help us preach the good news. God bless you, brothers.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For an audio archive of this program, go to livingbreadradio.com and click on the programming menu. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.